I've been in church since I was negative nine months old. And there was a day that I would have said, I think I know all the church songs that are. But that was just in my ignorance. We are learning some new stuff. And I have got to say, I hope that you are just eating it up. I know Pastor Brent and I because we're over in the court. Man, that's a good song. Man, that's got the, the truths that are proclaimed in what we sing are the beautiful truths of the gospel. And uh, what a privilege it is to come together and join our voices on the Lord's day and sing of the great salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. Please turn in your Bibles, if you would, to the book of 1 Peter and chapter 2. 1 Peter chapter 2. Today we come to verses 4 through 8. And we find in this section Peter using several metaphors to paint vivid pictures of Christ and the church. To show the contrast between the church and the unbelieving masses. And, and today as we come to the text, we're, we're going to read, beginning in verse 1. This is a whole letter that, that goes together with continuity. We're going to read 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 1 through 8. Then we'll focus our time on 4 through 8. Therefore, putting aside all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander, like newborn babes, desire the pure milk of the word, so that by it you may grow in respect to salvation. If you have tasted the kindness of the Lord... And coming to him as a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice or chosen and precious in the sight of God. Verse five, you also as living stones are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. This precious value then is for you who believe, but for those who disbelieve. The stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense, for they stumble. Because they are disobedient to the word. And to this doom, they were also appointed. Heavenly Father, we pray your blessing on your word now. We pray that your Holy Spirit will work in us and through us and among us. That Lord, your word would, would be the seed and it would find fertile, soft soil in which it would take root. God, we pray today for the sanctification your people for the salvation of sinners hide this preacher behind the cross we pray in Christ's name amen, amen. last week we considered verses one through three and, and we said last week that the common thread of every born-again believer is a love for Jesus Christ and a love for his word and we saw that as a baby longs for Milk and grows by it, so we should long for and grow by the pure Word of God. And I would like to note as we consider this, the, the plural or corporate nature of these truths. 
this truth has an, has elements of certainly where we can understand it individually. But this whole letter and this section is a plural section. It is of a plural nature. Notice as we consider uh, verse 1, the sinful attitudes and behaviors that we are to put away. This is a list. And we have lots of lists in the scripture. And sometimes we may think ignorantly, well, this is just a random list. It's just a random, it's never a random list. <laughs> and, and, and when we see this, we, when we examine, we find commonality. Think of the sins that are not listed here. These are listed because these sins disturb the peace and unity of the church. Surely we should lay aside all sin and individual sins. But here Peter focuses on sins affecting the church. This is plurality that we see in this text. Our desire for the word. It doesn't say that we're desire the word like a newborn baby. But that we are to desire the word like newborn babies. It's plural. There's a plurality. And the focus is on the community of believers called the church. And it carries this, this plurality, this, this, um, this church thinking carries over into our text today. We find here uh, analogies, word pictures like stones, priests, sacrifices, and they're all plural. So as we come to verse 4 and we approach this text in a congregational mindset, I was thinking just today on the way in how uh, this may be easier for some of you than it is for others of us. As an only child, there's a lot of individualism. Uh, to this day, my parents will tell you about uh, things that were done at the house that I deny. I didn't do it. I don't know who did it. And they're like, you're the only one here. <laughs> Just to help them out, I still deny those things to this day. I don't know how to but, but those of you who grew up in a family, you know what it is to be a part of a group, to have an identity in a group. I was thinking about, I was thinking about the Padawans. I was thinking about what it is to be like that. It's, it's hard for an only child to imagine what it would be like to grow up in a house with six kids and have your identity there. Well, church, we have individual identities, but our main thing is, is this. It's, it's being the church. So when we come to verse 4, we, we don't come as individualistic, solo saints. We come as the church approaching this text. We have in this text a metaphor, word pictures. And the first one here is of stone, stone or rock. It's interesting how often in scripture there are references to stones or to rocks. Certain sinful behavior under the old covenant was punishable by stoning. I, I believe, I've come to believe, especially studying this text that we are in today, that this stoning for certain sins was a picture of a stone as judgment and Christ being the stone. God is called a rock. Many places, many times in the scripture. Who is a rock except our God? They remembered God was their rock. God is called the stone of Israel. The rock of my strength. Psalm 28 says, To you, O Lord, I call my rock. 
Do not be deaf to me. And here we have an example of, of attributing an attribute not ordinarily associated with a stone, like hearing, associated to a stone. God, my rock, do not be deaf to me. Often there's explicit reference to stones, like in 2 Samuel 22, my rock in whom I take refuge. But other times there are stony words, stony language, stony references without using the word rock or stone. Like from Jeremiah 16, O Lord, my strength, my stronghold, and my refuge in a day of distress. Here God is, God is a stony fortress, but the word rock or stone is not used, though this is clearly stony language. The same holds true to the hymn that we sing. I think we sang it just last week. A mighty fortress is our God, a bulwark never failing, our shelter he amid the storm. These are rock expressions, and we express those in our singing. We also remember that Jesus said if the people would cease to praise him, the stones would cry out. The stones would cry out. Another time when something that we don't typically associate with stones speaking or crying out is connected to rocks. I'm, I'm setting this up because we're going to see these things in our text today. Remember in Matthew and in Mark and in Luke, we read where Jesus quotes Psalm 118 and refers to himself as a stone which the builders rejected. And we cannot forget, I mean, we're in the book of Peter, the letter that Peter wrote. So we don't forget our author's interaction with Jesus. When Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? And Peter answered with that huge boulder of precise fact, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus said that he would build his church on that rock of truth. And you have to wonder in Peter's mind, I mean, just imagine having that interaction with the Savior. How many times after that did Peter walk by a rock without thinking about this? As, as all the buildings are built of stones, as there are stones everywhere, how, how often would this have been played back in Peter's mind? Every time he saw a large rock, every time someone called him by the nickname that our Lord gave him, Rocky, well, or Peter, which means Rocky. And, and church, we can dispense with the idea that Peter was the rock on which the church would be built. Peter's I have solidness written in my notes because I don't know. I make up words from time to time. Peter's, Peter's solidness, Peter's firmness, it was stronger at times than others. Right after Jesus said, on this rock, I will build my church. And, and speaking of Peter's great confession there, then he said to Peter, he called him Satan. And said, get behind me. Peter, Peter is someone we can relate to. Peter was a believer in Jesus Christ. Peter is a saint of God. But Peter is not the rock 
solid foundation on which Jesus is building the church. Christ and this statement about Christ being the Christ, the son of the living God, he is rock solid and he is our cornerstone, our foundation. I, I don't know how long we'll be here. Last week we went long, so I'm going to hurry, but I want to say here, we just sang today how uh, the church's one foundation is Jesus Christ, our Lord, and some have argued with that and said, no, the Bible says the, the prophets and the apostles is the foundation, meaning the Bible. The Bible is our foundation. So Christ is not the foundation of the church. The Bible is the foundation of the church. How silly. <laughs> the scripture is, and the, and the scripture says that it is the foundation of the church, but the scripture testifies of Christ. It, it's all about Christ. So Christ is the foundation that we have. And here, when we come to Acts 4, when Peter spoke to the rulers and the elders, he said, Jesus is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but became the chief cornerstone. He said that in Acts chapter four. There, there are so many references in scripture to stones uh, that we could spend all our time today just reading different ones and referring to different ones, but we need to dig in where we're at. We want to we go to verse five. And I'm not skipping verse four. We're going to come back, but I want to go to verse five uh, to do this a little bit out of order. Verse five says, you also as living stones. This is another reference to stones. And here we are called stones. You also as living stones. We are called stones, not a single stone, but stones, plural. I think of the utility and the usefulness of a truckload of stones Versus the utility and usefulness of a single stone. With a single stone, all I can think of is to break a window pane. Uh, there, there are uses for a single stone, but uh, but a truckload of stones. Now we can build something out of that, and we church are stones being built into a house, a spiritual house. The text tells us we are stones being built into a spiritual house. It says that you as living stones are being built into a spiritual house. God is building this spiritual house. This is another picture that we have of the church. Uh, he's building his church. Uh, pictures of the church in the scripture. Uh, we're called a body. We are the people of God. The church is certainly not brick and mortar. I mean, we say this, right? We're coming to the church, but we're not coming to the church. The church is coming to this building. Does that make sense? Are you getting that? When we come into this building, we're not coming to the church. We are the church. It's been, I think, over the last 15 years, we have been a church without a building. And how easy it is for us to be reminded regularly that, well, we don't have a church. No, we are the church. One day we might have a building, but we are the church and we will no more be the church with a building than we are without a building. The church is not a building. The church is the people. So the church is not a building, but now Peter uses the analogy of a building, a spiritual house being built. We are, we are being built, the spiritual house. 
Christ is building his church, the spiritual building, and we are the stones being used in the construction of it. Now, we see other pictures here that we're going to look at later, uh, pictures of priests and pictures of sacrifices. Uh, we'll look at those in later sermons, but, but now we're just focusing on this stone metaphor. We're not normal, run-of-the-mill stones. Verse 5 calls us living stones. Here again, uh, we've seen rocks attributed the, the act of hearing and speaking. Now we have rocks with life, living stones. And I'm going to tell you, my mother has been a rock collector all my life. And I do not mean small pebbles on a little shadow box in the living room. I mean, big, big rocks. The smallest ones, five pounds, and the biggest ones, backbreakers for two or three men using leverage and tools. Big, big rocks. And so you think, well, that's great. for, And it is great for people who don't move a lot. But my parents moved a lot. And we moved those rocks. Whew. I bring it up because... Well, maybe I'm still a little bitter. <laughs> maybe, maybe, I'm, maybe my back still hurts from moving rocks. But here's the thing that never happened. In all the times that they moved, in all the times that we've moved those rocks, not one time did a rock load itself onto the trailer. Not one time did a, did a rock roll over onto the dolly. Not one time did we get any help. And we didn't get any help from the rocks, and we didn't expect any help from the rocks. Why? Because rocks aren't living. Rocks are just inanimate, dead objects. They're just things. But verse 5 says we are living stones. So, so this analogy is unique. This is, this is a unique thing. We are living stones, but how is that? How can we be living stones? From where do we as stones get life? Well, we have the answer for us in verse 4. That's why I want to start in verse 5 and then go back to verse 4. Coming to Him, coming to Christ, coming to our Lord and Savior as a living stone. Jesus is a living stone. And by virtue, church, by virtue of our relationship and connection to him, we are living stones. He is a living stone. We are living stones. He is the source of our life. He is the source of our living. Remember, God is say. He has no source because he exists. He is in and of himself. He is a living stone without source for life. And we are living stones with him as the source for our life. He is a stone and we are stones. But just as we are unique stones being living stones, he is even more unique, even more precious. He is the cornerstone. He is the cornerstone. And some of you know that Stacy and I have begun the long and arduous process of building a house. Some people have asked, how's it going? And here's my answer. It's not going. 
Uh, we're, we're building this house as we can afford to pay for it. So this is going to be a long ordeal. At, feel free to ask once a year. I mean, you know, it's good. But there's not going to be a whole lot of progress for us to report in the short term. But we have completed what I consider to be one of the most important parts of building. You might say it's foundational. <laughs> we have a concrete slab. We went to great care and I would say great expense to make sure that this foundation is right. That it is plumb square and true. That it is solid. That it is unshifting, which in our Texas soil is challenging. We need the foundation to be right before we continue to build anything else. If the foundation is not right, whatever is built upon it will be not right. The foundation is important. And, and in Peter's day, they didn't pour concrete slabs the way we do today. They would take loads and loads of stones and search through those stones to find the ones that would serve as foundation stones. And the most important one, the one that would be the cornerstone. They would go through all the stones on a building site and eliminate them one by one. This one's not suitable. Rejected. This one's not large enough. Rejected. This one has a big crack. Rejected. Until they found the best one. Until they found the right. This is the cornerstone. The one that would support and fit with all the others. It was the most important. And here in our text, Peter presents Jesus, not the first time in Scripture, but he presents him here as the cornerstone. He quotes from Isaiah and he quotes from the Psalms to say Jesus is the cornerstone. But verse 4 tells us that this cornerstone who is Christ was rejected. The best stone, the, the chosen, the the precious stone was rejected. The, the builders, primarily when we talk about the builders, the stone that the builders rejected, primarily the builders refers to the leaders and the elders of the Jews. They had looked at this stone who is Jesus and said, reject. They judged Jesus unfit to be the cornerstone for the church. And not only the leaders, but also every man, woman, and child who rejected Jesus as the Messiah. They were rejecting the cornerstone. Peter says Jesus is a living stone and he has been rejected by men. Rejected by men, but Jesus is also chosen by God. He is rejected by men, our text says, but choice or chosen and precious in the sight of God. Jesus is the chosen cornerstone for the church. So Christians, don't, don't miss this. Jesus is a living stone, and because we are in Him, we are living stones. And here Jesus is chosen of God. Let's say it this way. Jesus is the elect of God, and we who are in Him are by virtue of our relationship to Him, the elect of God. 
the thought occurs to me, and I want to, I want to, it's not in my notes, but I, the thought occurs to me when I say Jesus is the elect of God, Jesus is eternally co-equal of the same essence with the Father and the Spirit. Saying that Jesus is the elect of God does not mean that Jesus is anything less than the Father or the Spirit. It is that he was chosen to be the Savior, chosen to be the Messiah. He is the chosen one. He is the elect one. Peter, our first Peter, this letter here is, is replete with references to election. Jesus is the elect of God and we who are in him are the elect. These final verses, verses 6 through 10, they, they fill in the color of the picture of Jesus as the cornerstone. As I mentioned, Peter quotes here from the Old Testament text of Psalms and Isaiah. And we know because he quotes from the Old Testament and because we've seen this, that he's not just making up new stuff. This truth is God's truth from the beginning and it has been progressively revealed through time. But now God's truth is finally revealed in the God man, Jesus Christ, the elect of God, chosen and precious to God. We have seen Christ, the living stone, and those who believe in him are living stones. But in these final verses, we consider two groups. There are two choices made by men. Some believe in Christ Jesus and others reject him. To use the language of the text, they disbelieve. Look at verse 6. For this is contained in Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed. Those who believe in Jesus, those who come to him as the living stone, the cornerstone, they will not be disappointed. And someone was just thinking, hey, is that another Latotes in the scripture? Yes, it is. A Latotes, you know, we've talked about this before. It's to make a statement by denying its opposite. That's not bad. When we say it's not bad, what do we mean? It's good. But we say it's good by stating the opposite negatively. It's not bad. It's good. It's a lototis. Here we have this. Those who believe in Jesus will not be disappointed. That is not just the bare meaning of that is not what's being said here. Well, you won't be disappointed. No, it's the opposite of that. It, it's all the truth opposite of disappointment. Those who believe in Jesus Christ will be satisfied, will be pleased, will be fulfilled, will be built up. Jesus will be seen as precious to us, the pearl of great price. Those who believe in him, he is our greatest treasure. And it's stated here, you will not be disappointed. Look at verse 7. This Precious value, because that's what Christ is to those who believe in him. This precious value then is for you who believe. But for those who disbelieve. The stone which the builders rejected, this became the very cornerstone. A stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. This living stone, which is for believers 
the foundational cornerstone is at the same time for unbelievers, for the person who rejects Christ, he is a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. We think of this stone of stumbling. We dare not think about stumbling how we use it in our common vernacular. When we stumble, what do we think? I thought of a, a rug. That's my thing. Rugs trip me up. And the rug is wrinkled and my toe catches it. And I stumble. And I have not gotten to the point where I've fallen. I recover. But there's a stumble and a recover. I also thought about, as, as parents, some of you will appreciate this, getting up in the middle of the night to do the things that we do, get up in the middle of the night, and you step on that Lego or that Hot Wheels car, or whew, you stumble, but you recover. That is not the kind of stumbling that we have here. This stumbling is a falling. A stumbling and a falling. It causes the person who rejects Christ to stumble and not just to stumble and recover, but to stumble and fall. Listen again. We read this earlier, but listen again to how Jesus speaks of himself as the rejected cornerstone from Matthew chapter 21. Jesus said to them, did you never read in the scriptures the stone which the builders rejected? This became the chief cornerstone. This came about from the Lord and it is marvelous in our eyes. Therefore, I say to you, the kingdom of God will be taken away from you and given to a people producing the fruit of it. And he, listen to this, he who falls on this stone, that's the stumbling. He who falls on this stone will be broken to pieces. But on whomever the stone falls, it will scatter him like dust. The stumbling is not just a little tripping up, it's a falling. And those who reject Christ fall on this living stone and are broken to pieces. Remember the stoning of the Old Testament? The stoning for sin that I said pictures Christ? Those who fall, stumbling, are broken to pieces. They're crushed to powder and scattered like dust. There's a warning here this morning for those who would reject Christ Jesus as the living stone, the cornerstone. And some may say, well, how am I rejecting Christ? How, how am I in the process of stumbling and falling, which will be my doom? Verse eight gives us the answer. Those who reject Christ, those who stumble, it says they stumble because they are disobedient to the word. They stumble because they are disobedient to the word. Now, this does not teach here works salvation or perfect obedience to the law in order to be saved. That's not what's being taught here. The obedience that is spoken of here is obedience to the gospel. God, through the gospel, calls and commands all people to repent of their sin and believe in Christ Jesus. The only way to avoid being dashed to pieces on this stone is to obey the gospel call, to repent of your sin and believe in Jesus Christ as Savior, as Lord, as the cornerstone. Verse 8 closes with a phrase that may take 
some of us by surprise, it may make some of us uncomfortable. We initially may want to push back against this, but I would remind you that this is not something that I'm writing or making up. This is the word of God. This is God's truth and Christians, we must believe it. Speaking of those who reject Christ, the cornerstone, those who will not believe in him, repenting of their sin, it says this, and to this doom, they were appointed. And to this doom, they were appointed. Now, Christians, reformed believers, those who cling to the electing grace of God, we are glad to say that we are appointed unto eternal life. With a smile on our face, we proclaim that not with pride in our heart, boasting in Christ that we are appointed to eternal life. And we have biblical grounds for this. One clear text from Acts 13, where Paul and Barnabas preached to the Gentiles. Verse 48 says, and all who were appointed to eternal life believed. Isn't it wonderful for those who were appointed to eternal life? And this truth is celebrated by so many. But this verse, 2 Peter 2, 8, it's just as true. And it teaches the flip side of that truth. Those who reject Jesus, who do not obey the gospel, they are appointed to this doom. They are appointed to eternity in hell. Now we should say quickly that this appointment, this appointing is not exactly the same for the elect who believe in Jesus Christ and those who reject Christ. It's not the exact same thing in the appointing. When God appointed some to eternal life, he did all the great work of salvation to redeem us from sin. All the things, not only to bring Christ into the world for Christ Jesus to die for our sin, to be raised again, all of that work, but also in your personal life, all of the work to bring you to the place where you would willingly say, I believe in Jesus Christ, repenting of my sin. God did all that work. Because you were appointed unto eternal life. But for those who were appointed to eternal damnation, there was no special work, no special action on God's part that was required. We are sinners, doubly by inheritance and then by our own choice and our own action, we are sinners. And those who enter hell with those who enter hell, enter hell without inter, in any intervention, without any coercion. They are appointed to doom, but there was no special work of God required for this. Rejecting Christ is the natural choice of the lost person. So Christians, every believer, we are brought to, to humble gratitude. When we consider the lengths to which God went to save us. To bring us to the place where we who once despised and rejected the Savior now come to him most willingly as the living cornerstone. As our precious Lord and dear Savior. We're humbled by what he has done. Dear sinner, this morning, you hear the call. 
Hear the call of the gospel today. Come to Jesus. Believe in him, repenting of your sin. Obey the gospel. Don't let your stubborn unbelief remain. Come to Jesus and be saved today. This is the true grace of God. Stand firm. Father, we pray that you would apply these truths to our hearts. God, that for every believer, we would once again, more deeply, more precisely, better and better each moment, see the living cornerstone that is our Savior. That we would be humbled, that we would be brought to, to devoted love and service. God, we pray that as Christ Jesus is presented to those who do not know your saving grace, that you would, that you would draw them to repentance, that you would take out their heart of stone and replace it with a heart of flesh, that you would make them new creations in Christ Jesus. We pray this in Christ Jesus' name. For his kingdom's sake.